0: Christine! Please don't hang up. I know I'm probably the last person you want to hear from after I ran away to the big city. But when I saw you hanging Christmas lights with Roger, I got scared. The tinsel and decorations from my work's holiday party is nothing like what I experienced in Nostalgia Town with you. I know now the true meaning of Christmas is our love. If you'll have me, I want to spend the rest of my life making it up to you. It's a Christmas miracle! I'm going to march into the holiday party and tell Mr. Manager that I quit! then I'm on the first flight back to Nostalgia Town with you. I love you too. I'll see you shortly. What the?
1: Oh, hey. I didn't see you there. Sorry you had to witness that. I'm sure you had a great Christmas love story unfolding, but he sort of picked the wrong place to have a big holiday realization. How rude of me. I haven't even introduced myself. My name is Stuart, I'm a non-denominational holiday cryptid. Basically my soul lies dormant on regular days, only allowing my physical form to materialize during holidays. Hanukkah, Easter, Oktoberfest, you name it. I even had Columbus Day for a little over 200 years, but everyone challenged its legitimacy. Oh well, that one made me feel a little weird anyway. As a young bloodthirsty sky beast, I used to do my part with population control, feeding on the innocent, and causing destruction but recently I've just been really into podcasts. Ever since I discovered how good indie podcasts are, I've spent every holiday that I materialize catching up on all my favorite shows. And being a bit of an anomaly myself, I'm a sucker for weird and interesting content. Oh, looky there. My first holiday story is finished downloading. I can share an earbud with you if you'd like to listen with. Let me just sweep these entrails out of the way so you can have a seat. There we go. This first story is from a couple of goofballs that go by Live Laugh Larceny, a true petty crime podcast. They specialize in taking dumb criminal headlines and turn them into cheesy, overly dramatic short stories. It's very different, and the sound effects kill me. Here's my other earbud if you don't mind putting that in. It's a perfect fit. Let's press play and see what's in store for this year.
0: All the Florida people in Wellington like Jesus a lot but the Grinch, Danielle Santino, who walked past it, did not. Danielle hated Christmas and religious belief. Please don't ask why, her and the Lord just had beef. It could be, perhaps, that their bells woke her up every morning. It could be that she found their sermons to be boring. But I think the most likely reason of all is that her religious tolerance was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, their sermons or bells, their shouts to the heavens made Danielle feel like hell. Staring across the street with a biased, grinchy frown, a new lawn ornament appeared for the people to gather round. For she knew every member of the center across the street loved that their religious statues were the first thing people would see. Christmas was yesterday, she snarled with a sneer. They had twenty-five days of their incessant cheer. Then she formed an idea deep in her asshole brain. That celebration must be stopped. Not another single day. For tomorrow I know all the Wellington people will loudly sing hymns of praise to the steeple. Oh, those ancient songs, all those songs, songs, songs. If there's one thing I hate... It's those songs, song, songs. They'll stand close together with the pipe organ blaring, feeling very uncomfortable in the ugly sweaters they're wearing. Still singing, still singing, still singing, singing, singing. And the more Danielle thought of their tone-deaf singing, the more Danielle thought, I must end this whole thing. Why, since Thanksgiving night, the decorations lit the town. The holiday has passed. It must end now. Then she got an idea. An intolerant idea. She got the most wonderful, intolerant idea. I know just what I'll do. Danielle laughed and she swayed. (laughs) I'll kidnap baby Jesus. I'll take him away. It's September 26th, she grinchily said. As she put on all black and slipped a mask over her head. She walked softly and quietly as she approached the manger. Joseph and Mary stared in fear at the sight of the stranger. I've heard a lot about you, baby Jesus, she shouted with glee. Now get in the bag, you're coming with me. But as she attempted to pick up the sweet baby Lord, her motion was stopped by a tight safety cord. You think that will stop me? Danielle said with a chuckle as she cut through the rope and threw that baby in her duffel. Her feet ran across the street with the Holy Spirit in tow, knocking quietly on the window of her good friend, Fernando. What do you want? said the voice of her friend. I brought you a late present. Now please, let me in. Danielle began to explain. Fernando held out his hand. Some people accept Christ in their hearts, but I've got him in this bag. I appreciate the jester, said Fernando, but you stole. I'll accept this gift out of politeness, but you should probably go. Danielle left without a fight, escaping into the night. No longer would the center be merry and bright, but as the sun rose above the center on December 27th, in walked Pastor Marty, the 377th. He unlocked the worship hall with his old creepy keys. He filled his watering can with holy water to water the holy trees. Walking the grounds, he cleaned it up of any trash and looked up to the manger to see baby Jesus had been snatched. Oh, golly gee! He wailed the way a holy man could. I'm not going to curse, but this situation It's not good. Only prayers can save us from a time of great stress. So Marty got on his knees and activated baby Jesus's GPS. Now before you listeners think this is a fun turn of phrase, I mean this in the most literal of ways. This isn't the church's first baby Jesus rodeo. They've got years of experience with their savior being stole. So just as Jesus looks down over you and me, his forever baby body is watched over by technology. They pinged his location and he was surprisingly close. Just across the street, on a pile of Fernando's clothes. Police! As they questioned the boy and his vile act. Why would you do this? He flipped like a pancake and stabbed Danielle in the back. So what happened then? Well, in Wellington, they say, that Grinch got booked for a Florida man stay. There she sat in the Palm Beach County Jail with a single charge of theft and a lump of coal in her cell. (laughs) And then the true meaning of Christmas came through that you probably shouldn't steal such a popular loot. So welcome Christmas, bring your cheer. Cheer to all the Florida people far and near. Cheer to the bath salters, the shoplifters and stuff, as long as they have hands to cuff. Florida crimes will always be, as long as we have we. Welcome petty criminals as we stand, with petty hearts and red hands.
2: (laughs) Wow. I need that book printed
3: immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We made a little eye contact during this story when you said the 377th? Yeah. Clarify immediately.
0: That wasn't really a real thing. I was
3: okay. <laughs> I was like, there is no way.
0: That was me doing a seusism.
3: Okay. I
0: was doing Pastor Marty, which is another Marty, but I was saying he was Pastor Marty to the three hundred and seventy seventh. Okay. It helped make the rhyme, but I'd like to think that he just came from a line of three hundred plus Pastor Marty's.
3: I was like. If this is somehow, some way, a truth in this story, I need to know details. Okay. That is so not. they had a GPS in baby Jesus.
0: Apparently, this is very common.
3: Oh, wow. I learned
0: a whole expose on it. I mean, we've all heard stories. Yeah. I mean, baby Jesus and Joseph and Marys get stole from the manger all the time. Yeah. But I guess a lot of these security places... Normally, if you're going to sign up for like a Brinks or some sort of a thing as a church, they're trying to get you to sign up for like a year or so. Yeah, But they were actually running holiday deals to say, okay, you can sign on with us for one month only because we understand how important it is that you protect baby Jesus. There's no like hassle to try to get you to do more. Sure, everybody needs security, but you need extra security on these things. So a lot of churches will, or community centers as this one was, will sign on and put these GPS trackers in their highly stolen Christmas decor. So sometimes Baby Jesus... Well, Baby Jesus is the main one, but sometimes even Mary and Joseph will also have
1: GPS trackers on them too. Whoa. What a twist on a holiday classic. Here I am, some grotesque creature who literally ate a human in front of you, and I can't even fathom the kind of evil that comes from a Jesus thief. Huh. Well... I guess there's no rest for the wicked. I only have so many hours on this holiday, so the show must go on. I don't know how you feel about history, but I've got a great historical true crime podcast hosted by sisters Lindsay and Madison. Together, they formed the podcast Ye Old Crime. The show is full of strange historical facts, crime, and laughs. It's a great bit of nostalgia for a centuries-old being like myself, but it should serve as a fun learning experience for you.
2: Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host Maddie Stangle. Hello. Hi. How's it going? It's going. Yeah. This episode comes out the week of Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Mm-hmm. I am going to be sharing stories behind popular Christmas tales. Ooh, that's,
3: that's appropriate. That's time timeline appropriate.
2: This story is a popular tale that I think once I get into it, you're going to be like, yeah, I know this one. Okay. If you live in the UK, you're probably familiar with a popular Christmas dish known as mincemeat pie. This festive dish is made with fruit, spices like cinnamon and nutmeg, and a mix of herbs. But it's rumored that once upon a time, back in the 16th century, this dish had a, shall we say, more meaty and rather unsavory beginning. Was it long pig? Yeah. God damn it. Historians in 2016, particularly a blogger named C.R. Berry, Wrote about how the dish was actually invented by a group of French cannibals. God, it's always the French yeah. bone bread, now mincemeat pie. And they're the ones that punish pigs for eating their babies' faces when they don't feed them.
3: Just feed the pigs and then you can eat them. Like, that's how
2: That's how it that's should work.
3: Cha- it's a food chain. You gotta.
2: <laughs> okay. Never break the chain. <laughs> <laughs> or the pig will eat your face. <laughs> <laughs> the they decided to make pies filled with a mix of fruit spices and minced meat to hide the fact that the source of the protein was actually people okay and the reason mincemeat meat pies today are now meat free is to hide the fact that they started off as such a horrific dish great in paris in 1384 the butcher of Rue de Marmoset was one of the most well-known of his trade in the entirety of France. Okay. Of his wares, his pâtés and meat pies were what sold the most. People okay. from all over the country would travel to Paris just to try them.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Even King Charles VI reportedly came to sample his wares. Uh-oh. BFD. Like, super exclusive. hmm He's the Guy Fieri of France. Yep. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I was trying to think of a dives diners and drive-ins joke but I couldn't think of one. <laughs> well, next to the butcher shop was the town barber, who had a large number of patrons and was particularly popular amongst foreign students who were in the city to study philosophy. No. Mhm. It said that when he would find himself alone with one of these foreigners, his hand would occasionally slip and he would slit the throat of the unsuspecting student before they were sent down a chute into the basement, a basement that he shared with his neighbor, the butcher. So this is now Sweeney Todd. Yes. Yes. Okay, got it. The butcher would then proceed to chop, grind, and mash the body until they were at a consistency where they could be the key ingredient for one of his famous meat pies. The reason they would slaughter and serve foreigners was because it was far less likely that their families would miss them right away, or even notice that they were gone until long after they'd been served to the unsuspecting people of Paris. Gross. This practice between the two men took place for years, and it wasn't until a young German student went missing that the life of crime the two had been living began to crumble in 1387. The police had no idea where to even begin to look for the missing student until they noticed something peculiar about this student's dog. The dog would stay outside the barbershop day and night, barking and seemingly waiting for his master to exit the building. It wasn't long before the police decided it was worth looking into. That's when the basement of Horrors was discovered. The butcher and barber were arrested, taken outside the City Hall of Paris, and soon hanged. As for the student's dog, he was awarded the Medal of Honor for solving the case. Stop!
3: That's so cute! (laughs) (laughs) I hope we got a good
2: home. I hope somebody, like... I do, too. And, as you mentioned, if you're thinking to yourself, that sounds familiar, I'm not surprised, as it inspired the tale of Sweeney Todd, First appeared in A Penny Dreadful in 1847. The location of Sweeney Todd changed from the then small city of Paris to the bustling city of London, where Barber Sweeney Todd partnered with his neighbor, Mrs. Lovett, whose pies were the worst in London before Sweeney showed up. Mm -hmm. The story of the original butcher and barber in Paris may not be the true inspiration for the story of Sweeney Todd, however. There are other reports of a similar tale taking place in the 17th century during the French Revolution, but there is no proof of any questionable murders taking place. Mm-hmm. It is more likely that the British were trying to paint the French as barbaric, cannibalistic commoners. They they have n- been known to do stuff like that. Yeah. 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 That so. Once upon a time in the UK... Being able to afford a mincemeat pie meant you were doing rather well for yourself. At that time, the pies were filled with savory meats like lamb or minced beef, which was a luxury that not everyone could indulge in. Mm -hmm. One of the earliest mentions of a pie full of meat and spices appeared in an English cookbook from 1390 titled A Form of Curry, which called for the maker to grind up pork, hard-boiled eggs, and cheese— before mixing in spices, saffron, and sugar. At this point in history, meat pies would have been intended as a full meal, not as the small tart-like pastries that they are now. That makes sense. Yeah. So like a full chicken pot pie. Yeah. Portable and hearty. Mm -hmm. Around the mid-17th century is when mince pies seemed to start being tied to the holiday of Christmas, although they were still enjoyed throughout the rest of the year. And you're familiar with Oliver Cromwell, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that guy didn't like things that were festive. <laughs> Shocker. And he had spiced right. treats, of which mincemeat pie was one, made illegal. Cool. A 1661 book about the interregnum, a.k.a. when the Puritans ruled the country, the author included a rhyme that goes as follows. Quote, all plums the prophet's sons defy, and spice broths are too hot. Treasons in a December pie, and death within the pot. End quote. In 1850, Washington Irving wrote, quote, Nearly two centuries had elapsed since the fiery persecution of poor mince pie throughout the land, <laughs> when plum porridge was denounced as mere End quote.
3: The war on pie.
2: By the mid-1800s, mincemeat pies, sans meat, started to make an appearance, partially due to the fact that sugar was starting to become easier to acquire, which ushered in the era of sweet pies. Nice. In 1861, a cookbook by Mrs. Beaton provided directions on how to make meat pies as well as a sweet, meat-free version. By the time that the Victorian era came along, mince pies were almost exclusively meat-free. Regarding the story of the French butcher and baker, a folk song was written in 1387, the same year that the pair were said to be executed, titled, quote, The Legend of the Barber and the Bloody Pastry Seller, that goes as follows. I don't know the rhyme, so I'm just going to read it. Quote, and rue de Duhamon, near the Marmose, where two accursed souls, by their dreadful crimes, the bloodthirsty barber and reckless baker discovered by a dog making the world eat by fruitful cruelty the flesh of a christian end quote. and to end on a fun note oh great yeah the law banning mincemeat pies during the reign of cromwell was never actually repealed So it's a bit of a well-known fact that anyone who eats them in the UK is actually breaking the law. But it's not something you're going to get arrested for. On that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.
1: I may have just ate, but that story made me hungry. You know what I'm saying? Up top. Oh. I get it. That's probably not super relatable for a mortal. You may never eat again after what you've seen tonight, huh? Phew. I was afraid that awkward silence was never going to end. Good thing there's plenty of indie podcast content to keep you calm and keep me distracted from my hunger. And there's no better listening distraction than the delicious duo of Alicia and Sierra of Twisted and Uncorked. These ladies always deliver the best of serial killers, cults, conspiracies, or the paranormal. It looks like this is all about the history of Ebenezer Scrooge. I'm going to go ahead and press play. I need to distract myself from those human meat pies.
5: A Christmas Carol became particularly popular as well because of the time it was released in. People found it to be relatable. Ghost stories were passed around a fire during this time of year, like we just said earlier. And this book contained just that. And it sold out by Christmas Eve. Dickens was able to reestablish Christmas as a season of goodwill to all men in the hearts and minds of the people. A Christmas Carol inspired people to behave better towards one another. It is theorized that Ebenezer Scrooge was based off of a real man. The most likely candidate is an 18th century British politician named John Elwes, who was notorious for his penny pinching. Penny tisk, pinching. Tisk. I said penny pinching. I put the <laughs> eye in these. Anyway, you know it. meant. Love it. John Elwes was born in 1714 and inherited his first fortune worth about $10 million today. Cassie's just at a
3: time. <laughs> at just four years old. He what? Had $10 million wow. when his father passed away. Sir. Wow. But you're looking if, for a wife? I mean, <laughs>
5: <laughs> yes, four year old, are you? <laughs> but if, as they say, a penny saved is a penny earned, John Elvis was more like a billionaire. At a young age, John learned much of his frugal mindset from his uncle, though his mother, who reportedly starved to, de- to death because she refused to buy food despite being rich. Probably played a role as well.
3: (gasps) That is just crazy to me. This takes frugality to a whole new level.
5: John Elvis and his uncle would sit around complaining about the way other people wasted money while sharing a single
3: glass of wine between them. As I'm sitting here with (laughs) a (laughs) half-leader.
5: It's not enough wine. John would always go to bed as soon as the sun set so he wouldn't have to pay for candles. He oh boy. ate roadkill and would eat moldy no! and rotting food rather than letting
3: it go to waste. I mean, I kind of respect that because people are so wasteful, but no. No. Don't <laughs> yeah, let it go this bad. this is not waste. This is trash. Yeah. <laughs> on the side this of compost bed. that you should
5: use to yeah.
3: plant your own garden. Yeah. Use
5: <laughs> it for something other than putting inside of you.
3: Oh. I can smell it from here. I'm oh, upset. Oh.
5: He wore ragged clothes, including a wig he found in a bush. <laughs> and strangers often assumed he was a homeless beggar and would drop pennies in his hand.
6: Oh, oh boy. She wears a bush wig.
3: <laughs> a bush wig. <laughs> the name of this episode. <laughs> oh jesus christ <laughs> john would walk
5: in the rain rather than paying for a coach and then he would sit around in his wet clothes rather than building a fire to dry them his oh, roof boy. leaked and his lavish home fell to ruins around him up until he died in 1789 he was Good known riddance. to get <laughs> right he was known to get mad at birds who stole hay from his fields to build their nests It honestly was a compulsion to save as much as possible.
3: You can't take it with you, man. Exactly. (laughs) Like, for what? And also, the birds are just doing their thing, okay? (laughs) They're being just as frugal as you. You found a bush in a wig. Why can't they find
5: a hay in your field? (laughs)
2: Did you see a
6: bush Have you in a, a
3: wig? bush? In a wig? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yep, I did. And a hay in your field. <laughs> I love it. A wig in a bush. A wig
5: in a bush. Your wig in a bush. Oh my goodness. Cats
6: in wigs.
2: Exactly.
5: <laughs> John ran for parliament and served three terms. Who the fuck voted for him? <laughs> he was technically. It- a member of the Whig Party.
2: (laughs) No uh, pun (laughs) intended.
5: According to Wikipedia, the Whigs were a political faction and then a political party in the parliaments of England, Scotland, Ireland, Great Britain, and the United Kingdom. John would travel to Parliament via the long route to avoid toll roads, and he would ride his underfed horse to work. Stopping Rude, along yeah. the way to eat a hard-boiled egg, he kept in his pocket.
3: <laughs> oh, that, so. It doesn't get squished. <laughs> it was very hard okay.
5: <laughs> just.
3: Ooh.
5: Hopefully, it wasn't. Everybody the smelled. Yet. Everybody smelled. So I don't think they noticed. And he was wearing this like, so. bush
3: wig, So it's like, they I, but I also. in the road, you know? It's fine. <laughs> I really hope that he shared part of that hardball day egg with this horse, though. I, I doubt know, it. he's just standing <laughs> The there horse looking at him. can have its own food. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, he wasn't feeding the horse. That's yeah. <laughs> so sad. Habsies. <laughs>
5: After a total of 12 years in Parliament, he decided to retire rather than continuing to spend money in his elections. The Scrooge comparisons start to fall apart, though, once you get past extreme personal frugality. When it came to other people in his, in his life, John Elwes could be extremely generous with his money.
6: Interesting. When,
5: <laughs> when his friends experienced financial uh, strengths, he would assist them with whatever they needed. Aww. Furthermore, while he would lend money freely, he was too polite to ever ask his friends to pay him
6: back. Well, that sounds real dumb. <laughs>
3: yeah.
5: That's
6: you gotta have balance. balance
3: you gotta have boundaries. It does sound like Jesse. Yeah. Minus the bushwick, though. Because <laughs> Minus <laughs> a, bushwick. a barber. Well, then I never mind. I want <laughs>
6: nothing to do with that one.
1: Mark. Are you up here? Oh shit, this must be the ex-girlfriend character from the big city. Hold on. <coughs> Ugh. Sorry about that. Honestly, after the whole egg-in-the-pocket story, I wasn't really hungry. But we still have a couple of stories left to go, and I hate when people interrupt my podcast. You may have noticed some other voices in that last story. It turns out that story was a Christmas mashup between Twisted and Uncorked and another great show p w Haunts and Homicides. Their show is hosted by Caitlin and Cassie, and they specialize in all things true crime and paranormal, mostly happening around the Pacific Northwest. Actually, I have a few cryptid cousins that roam those forests. And the hits keep coming. This story from p Haunts and Homicides is also from the same mashup, so you get to hear a little more of the twisted and uncorked ladies in this clip too. Consider that my little gift to you. It looks like we're going to learn about a murderous dentist in this one.
6: He had quickly become a pillar of that small town community. Always pillar to killer. <laughs> <laughs> he was more than just a respected businessman in Roseburg though. He held memberships at the Elk's Lodge and with the Roseburg Monthly Music Club. Oh. Yeah. It sounds very wholesome, but I feel like you're going to you're going to yeah. shatter it pretty much. <laughs> He was married to an attractive and dutiful woman, and the couple had three young boys. On the 13th of July that same year, dental. Dental. Yep, yeah, that's his name. Toads. <laughs> Might as well
3: be. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, is that actually his name, though? Because that's, no. that's
6: why he chose that profession. Yeah. <laughs> Dennis Russell was hired under the pretense of Dr. Brumfield needing assistance with removing some tree stumps from his property.
3: Were there tree stumps or were they bodies? <laughs>
6: <laughs> Good question. <laughs> okay. Dennis was a well-liked and unmarried man, though he was not known for his wit or intellect in particular. So obviously it wasn't going it wasn't going to be difficult for the doctor to disguise his true intentions. And in this case the truth is certainly stranger than any fantastical fictional tale I could have imagined. Ooh,
3: say that sometimes. <laughs> I yeah, no kidding. I
6: won't. Love this as a, a prelude though. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you see the image? That Dr. Brumfield had projected to the community of a wholesome, prosperous, and all-American family was indeed, at least in part, a fabrication. For, you see, the good doctor did find himself in a bad habit. Oh. In a bad bit of money trouble. Oh. (laughs) I was like, oh, no, a bad habit. Oh, a bad (laughs) habit. I
3: got a bad habit. Well, killing people usually
6: is a bad habit, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Arguably one of the worst. (laughs) His plans for Dennis lied in using his corpse to fake his own death. Yeah, exactly. Dennis! (laughs) Oh,
3: I was really hoping he was just going to be an accomplice. Yeah.
6: That would have been probably Dennis's preference, but... (laughs)
3: <laughs> Poor Dennis. R.I.P. Dennis slash dentist. Yeah.
6: He had a thirty thousand dollar life insurance policy, and had also taken out two separate loans from Roseburg Banks. Insurance schemes, as one might surmise, he may have already learned, were a far more lucrative way to make a quick buck than any other occupation. He'd actually already previously received payments for homes that had been burned to the ground. So, this is our wholesome oh. dentist who's just, you know, lighting shit on fire. It's just
5: a huge <laughs> con man. Wow. Yeah.
6: Pretty wild. The handyman, Dennis, had been offered a bottle of moonshine when the doctor arrived to pick up him up at his home. In hindsight, it probably would have been a good idea to hold off on the day drinking until after he'd finished his work, you know, blowing up tree stumps clean out of the ground with dynamite. But, of course, Dennis didn't have the benefit of knowledge that the moonshine had also been laced with some sort of sedative. So, questionable choice? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my My gosh. So he just starts drinking it before work. (laughs) Yeah. But you got to feel bad for the guy once you find out what's next. When Dennis had succumbed to the power of the tainted spirits, Dr. Brumfield took him about a mile down the road in his personal vehicle and not for a picnic Uh, to bludgeon him with 30 (laughs) Remington semi-auto rifle that he had also packed up for this errand
3: oh my god why are you bludgeoning bludgeoning with a rifle
6: you realize that's a gun right (laughs) (laughs) I mean I'm not going to tell you how to murder somebody but I feel like you did it the hard way (laughs) just like come on yikes there's such an obvious cheat code here 100%
3: oh my god well I mean guns are rosebud 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 (laughs) <laughs> no. Yeah.
6: Oh, poor Dennis. I know. I was really starting to like him. I know. I was really starting to <laughs> become attached. Making a second stop further along the road, Dr. Brumfield shot Dennis twice with that same rifle. Even in a rural community, gunfire could draw attention, so he quickly sped away from this second location. Which, Roseburg is still pretty small here in Oregon, like, compared to a city like Portland. So, I was kind of surprised. I was like, why are you so worried about getting caught? Like, isn't everybody just out shooting guns, like, pew-pew?
3: hmm <laughs> Yep. Pew-pew! <laughs> Old-time western Yeah,
6: pew, yeah pew. that's what they sound like, so. <laughs>
3: in my Sweet. experience, yeah.
6: yes. Which is zero. <laughs> <laughs> So he just drove away? Like, um, well, (laughs) he did just drive away, but unfortunately he did take Dennis with him. Oh yeah what okay. yeah so he shoots him happening? and then takes him with <laughs>
5: he beat him yeah. and then he was like oh wait this is a gun and then he shoots <laughs> him and then he's like oh no i'm gonna get caught come on let's go <laughs> why i don't uh, uh,
6: sir yeah i think probably at this point he wasn't really asking dennis nicely he was probably just yeah <laughs> shoving him back into the trunk but who knows? Oh, Poor Dennis. I'd I be know. like, fuck you. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, assuming that Dennis was even conscious, I feel like, yikes.
5: Okay. Can I just say, um, I have a, a, an S, what is it called? A um, prediction oh. of what is going to happen next. Oh, I like and it. And I don't think it's actually going to happen, but it would be hilarious. Sarah,
3: don't spoil her.
5: No, it <laughs> does. is there a trail of blood that follows
3: his vehicle all the way back to where he is. <laughs> is this going to get even more Looney Tunes? Yeah.
6: Right, right. It feels like a cartoon. Oh, it's <laughs> it. It honestly gets more cartoony. Um, oh gosh, that specific explanation would be just Chef's kiss, but no. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't until he reached the river that the doctor made a third stop to remove each and every tooth from Dennis's mouth.
3: <gasps> no. that's no. Oh, that's Sierra's worst nightmare. So he's a dentist because
5: he's literally a psycho. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's, Never trusted him. Yeah. Enjoys it. <laughs> full
3: circle.
6: Oh, it's my no. best guess anyway. Why? So the weird part, though. <laughs> Sierra has a thing about it. Yeah. <laughs> i get it i get it it's it's horrifying (laughs) can't stop like goosebumps (laughs) that seems
3: like a lot of work yeah yeah right Mm -hmm. yeah like how many teeth do adults have like 25
6: um he may have had up to 32 yeah oh it's 32 with your wisdom teeth 28 without okay I'm okay. one of the weird... I've never
3: stopped to count my teeth, but I'm glad you knew that off the top of your head because that wasn't even
6: close. I'll tell you why after we're done.
3: I'm going to message oh you guys how many teeth I actually have. Like... Perfect.
6: If you could just take a quick count and get back to us, that'd be great. <laughs> Doing some research Yeah. Here. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, no. Well, it gets weirder, though. And that's just on this third stop. Before we move on to more weirdness, I, oh, there's levels and layers. It's like an onion of weird criminal activity. Um, he then threw those teeth into the current of the river.
3: Why? What was the point? <laughs> it's making well, a Well, I wish. guess to get rid of DNA. Yeah, dental well, records. Well, I mean, there's yeah.
6: no. You know, nobody's testing DNA back then. So I was kind of thinking this. Yeah, it's
3: 1921. Like, That's I forgot what timeline exactly. it was. But can't they, couldn't they still identify people by dental records back then?
6: Um, I don't think that you could really identify someone by dental records back then because, um, at least in part, I think that they use your X-rays. When they do that's that, right? Yeah, true. Yeah, that yeah is I true. think
5: I think the most that they knew was if they have a gold tooth, they must right. have money,
6: right? Oh, what
3: did I think <laughs> we're dental <laughs> records, just like somebody looking at a dead guy's mouth, like yeah, that looks like those. <laughs> <laughs> make them Jesus bite something,
5: Christ. and then yeah. the dead
3: person bites. Oh something. yeah, the bite is the same. Yeah.
6: <laughs> well, yeah, we obviously <laughs> cannot do that here. He has no a zero teeth. <laughs> Oh, goodness. (laughs) No. So Highway 99, which normally I would say this may sound familiar to local listeners. Um, I don't know if you have any listeners in the P&W. Probably. (laughs) I I hope hope so. I'm not representing very well. (laughs) (laughs) But on Highway 99 is where he pulled over yet again to place his signet ring on the man's finger.
1: Now that's what I call a cliffhanger! Putting his ring back on his victim—is this a calling card thing, or is he trying to disguise the victim that passes him? I'll have to send you with the full episode on that one, so you can see how it ends. <laughs> it looks like our final story is done downloading. I know you've heard a lot about messed up stuff this evening, but how about hearing from a podcast called That's So Fucked <laughs> Up? Wow, that was unusually loud traffic. The final show that I have downloaded is called That's So Fucked Up, and is hosted by Ashley Love Richards. She covers all things bizarre and all around, well, fucked up. Hopefully you can stomach one more holiday story. That's fucked up.
7: So you guys, this is Ashley Love Richards. You know me, I'm your host. And today I am joined by one of my audio engineers and friends for over a year and a half. We have been on this ride together for a hot second.
4: It's been a great ride too. Who are you? My name is Gatris Monique Perdue. I
7: love that that rhymed.
4: Thank you. I know. Yeah.
7: So I Googled Christmas cult just in case. And wouldn't you know that I found something super fucking weird. So I found this thing, Gatris, called the Gracias Choir.
4: Gracias Choir.
7: Yeah. But the leader of the Gracias Choir and the Good News Mission And the International Youth Fellowship, a.k.a. the IYF, well, he's originally from Korea and only speaks Korean. He has an interpreter with him at all times. But I swear to God, he just made all of these different names to throw people off because it was so hard to figure out what the fuck was going on here. So... A shout out to our researcher, Elizabeth, for really digging in and finding out what was going on here because I just said, I don't know, really, you know, and then she looked into it. And then I looked into it more, but she just found a lot of really great information because I was like, what the fuck is going
4: on here? Sorry, dang it. And his name is Gracias Choir.
7: His name is Oksu Park. And he was born in June of nineteen forty-four, which makes him seventy-nine today. He founded a choir called the Gracias Choir. Okay. Which is just like a little bit confusing because of the
4: Korean origins. Yeah, and it's the thank you choir if they were somewhere Spanish. A Spanish-speaking country. <laughs> exactly. I can see why you're thrown off. Yeah. Gracias to your researcher. Right? I mean, thank you. <laughs>
7: Gracias means
4: I love you. No, it means thank you.
7: I think most people know that. Yes. So Oxu Park was born in June of 1944. He was a student at the Sanson Middle School which is where he was connected with the WEC International in England, which was the worldwide evangelization for Christ. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. So I actually just watched a really good documentary on HBO. Okay, It was called Savior Complex, and it's about a woman who starts a missionary in Uganda when she's, I think, about 21 years old and starts a refeeding program for malnourished children. And basically, I don't want to give too much away. The mortality rate at her facility, it was in the same ballpark as at real hospitals because sadly about one-tenth or more of children who get malnourished, end up dying as the end result, sadly. And she had this facility running, but she would wear a stethoscope and sometimes a doctor's coat. She had no medical training whatsoever, never took a fucking EMT course. She was running this center for, I don't know, half a dozen years or more. And she had doctors and nurses around who were trained medical professionals, but they interviewed a girl who had volunteered there and other people that they interviewed too said that she would just step in and be like, no, no, this is how you do it. Telling the doctors and nurses to do something this way when she doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about.
4: That sounds about right. (laughs) She's got some kind of complex on.
7: You can say that sounds about white. I know what you wanted
4: to say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you knew it. Yes.
7: Well, let's be honest. You know, it's white missionaries for the most part going over to Africa a lot of times. Yes. Because God put it on their heart. And don't get me wrong. Some of it is good because uh you know what? If you want to do good, give them money, help money flow into their economy not so much just hand over the money to the government because unfortunately many governments are very corrupt. But if she had all this money flowing in from donors, she should have been giving that to the hospitals in the surrounding areas that have real doctors and medical facilities. Exactly. But she definitely seemed to have, well, a savior complex, which is the name of the documentary. And everybody's like, why are you going off about this right now? Because She was a missionary, and the Worldwide Evangelization for Christ was an interdenominational mission agency that focused on evangelism, discipleship, and church planting to share the gospel cross-culturally. That's what I don't like. Keep your gospel to yourself. You want to go help people in third world countries by donating some time or money, food, food, you know, whatever. But don't go force religion on them,
4: especially while they're like suffering. And it seems like the only way they're going to get that help is if they convert to what you want them to convert. Right. Listen to me talk all day long about this and then maybe I'll feed you. No,
7: exactly. It's you get the help, but with a side of Christ
4: also a side of a non-medical advice.
7: Yeah.
4: (laughs) I didn't go to school and um, let me come and operate on you.
7: And there's one woman whose child died. You know, she came from like a small village and she said, I had heard about a white woman who had a facility. And when I got there and met her, she had a stethoscope on. She looked like she knew what she was doing. So she was going into areas where people weren't, very educated and presenting herself as a medical professional and had a bunch of children die at her hands. And that's the thing I want to be fair about is that statistically that many could have died in a hospital as well. Mm -hmm. It's just like the whole savior complex bullshit. And I'm bringing that up because what is evangelism? You ask Atrus?
4: What is evangelism? Thank you.
7: Yeah, I will tell you, it's the act of preaching or communicating the gospel and teaching of Jesus to non-believers with the goal of converting as many people as possible and helping them discover their true purpose in life, loving Jesus. There's not like strict rules about it. You just preach about the Bible and obviously this can be abused pretty quickly. And I found these adorable evangelical twins who run a for profit mission business. Who are these twins? The Benham brothers. And it's a profit. It's a for profit mission business, and they call it missioneering. Isn't that the exact opposite of what that shit's supposed to be? Uh
4: mm-hmm. huh. I mean, not mocking them, but I've seen the missions in neighborhoods walking with their tie the white shirt they've never stopped to talk to me though
7: i think that's mormons you're talking about oh that's definitely their look okay but yeah what they are doing is evangelizing well are they preaching about jesus in the bible
4: maybe they're just spreading the word
7: they're spreading the word i feel like that's similar
4: so that one can open up their heart to jesus if they like i've been to church a couple of times
7: yeah no i've been a couple times yeah it's
4: alright.
7: Mm-hmm. <laughs> So he officially joined the missionary program in 1962 and was trained in theology and the practical life of faith based on the gospel. Aksu does mostly public speaking and sermons to preach his gospel, and he has also written 38 books related to Christianity. Okay. Where does one get the time to write 38 books? I can't imagine
4: they're that good. He's fired up about the Lord.
7: But also Stephen King writes pretty amazing books and he's written a double crooked S ton. (laughs) 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 That was just for you, girl.
4: Thank you. (laughs) Cricket letters.
7: And now he's dedicated to spreading his gospel across the world for everyone to hear. It's an important note that his ministry is seen as a cult in South Korea, where he's originally from. Also kind of culty. He thinks he's a prophet. So, you know, whatever rolls off his tongue is the truth. Oh, you know, it's always kind of interesting when somebody's a prophet. It's weird how they think the world should be a certain way. And that's weirdly exactly how Jesus thinks.
4: That the world should be a certain way.
7: The way that they think, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could tell you, Gaytress, I can't be wrong. Everything I say now is right because Jesus came and qualified me to do this. Oh, I want to do an episode called Dangerous Bible Verses, Mm -hmm. like ones that people often use to justify some bullshit. And the one that Renee Bach from Savior Complex used was God doesn't call the qualified he qualifies the called.
4: And is that in the Bible?
7: I don't know, Gaytris. It, it, if it is, though, so, that's not good.
4: I don't think it is. I have not read through the whole thing, but I don't think God was using phrases like that. First, it would be thy, thou. I think
7: I'm on chapter three or four of the Bible or book. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm on chapter four. I was about to say, like, I think it's by the books. <laughs> Ooh. I've been learning about the Bible now for, I don't know, eight months. Yeah. And I'm still. But I do know what you mean by that, because when people get married or they're like, honor thy husband, you know, my husband, he's cool, whatever, but honor and listen to everything he says. Mm-mm. No. Wait a minute. He might listen to this episode. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. He, he knows who he married. He does know. But yeah. Or no, maybe it's obey your husband. I'm sorry. I'm a human woman.
7: Yeah. No, I don't like that. You know what? Tell me. I don't like to obey anyone. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Exactly. Because it's like, oh, if you tell me to do something, I'm going to do the opposite. Exactly. Because fuck you. That's why. (laughs) Thank you for saying it for me. Because you know exactly what I'm thinking. (laughs)
7: Yeah, I know. I see you and then I just say what you want to say.
4: Exactly. Thank you.
7: I got you. We're symbiotic at this point from working together for so long.
4: (laughs) I see it eye to eye.
7: So the Worldwide Evangelization for Christ, WEC, is what I'm going to call it now because I'm not going to keep saying that, was founded in 1913 by Charles Studd, an American evangelist. He created the Heart of Africa mission in his 50s. He stated that if Jesus died for him, then he should be able to make endless sacrifices in his own life to return the favor. And this was all relating back to personal health problems he had. You know, this is my cross to bear. Jesus had to die for his sins. And I have asthma, you know. No, I don't know if it was asthma, but... (laughs) (laughs) Also, I don't want to diminish how scary asthma is. I can't imagine having something where it's just like, yeah. And then sometimes all of a sudden I can't do that thing that you need to do to keep living.
4: To breathe. Yeah.
7: hmm Shit. So Heart of Africa was then renamed WEC International. And once this change happened, their goal was to have a worldwide effect. To reach every person on the planet who did not yet have Jesus in their heart. Or at least who hadn't heard about him. You know, I guess Mm -hmm. you at least got to hear about this guy. And then hopefully you bring into his heart. Have you heard about my friend Jesus? He's
4: the bomb. I would love to hear more about him. (laughs) Tell me more.
7: I'm not going to tell you more about Jesus. Okay. But I am going to tell you more about this weird Christmas choir cult. (laughs) This organization is where Park got his extreme ideology and is trying to enforce the same objectives with the foundations that he's created. Their objectives are reaching as many people as possible, planting as many churches as possible, and mobilizing missions around the world. Because we've seen how well missions have gone in You know, it's generally really cool how they go to indigenous groups and push colonization on them. Pretty chill. And make them change. Yeah, against their will. Uh Their core principles are faith. Duh. You have to trust that God will supply all you need. Sacrifice because they believe that the Holy Spirit enables them to obey what Jesus says and that will be able to endure any struggle that they are faced with fuck this shit, just like so is
4: breeding ground for abuse. (laughs) Sacrifice.
7: Yeah, you can endure that. And it's because it's a part of God's plan. Holiness, the Holy Spirit lives inside of them and allows them to honor God in all that they ask, say, think, and do. Fellowship as well. Their belief in Jesus makes it so that they can work together as a team regardless of any other differences. It's just like, hey, put that misogyny or whatever aside because we're here for Jesus.
4: And we're going to enjoy working together.
7: In theory. So the Good News mission was founded in 1972 and they run several churches in South Korea and also send missionaries abroad. There are now over 350 Good News Mission churches around the world. They are independent Baptists, which are generally fundamentalist Baptists. And if you guys know anything about the IFB or the independent fundamentalist Baptists in the United States, they are fucked like as fucked as the IBLP Bill Gothard Institute for Basic Life Principles all that stuff
4: I'm not familiar with the fundamental
7: don't say that because you will know okay if you still listen to any of the show You should listen to the fundamentalist segment though. It's like really interesting. Or you should watch shiny, happy people.
4: I did watch shiny, happy people.
7: Okay. That's the IBLP, Bill Gothard.
4: Oh, snap. Okay.
7: So the IFB, Independent Fundamentalist Baptists, are very similar to the IBLP. So if these are independent Baptists, aka fundamentalist Baptists, coming to do missionary work at your place of living, that's fucking terrifying. That's not even like a super benevolent kind of Christianity. I'm sure there are missions that are a lot nicer, but I would assume that this is a pretty fucking intense one. Mm-hmm. It was started from the faith of forgiveness of sins that Pastor Aksu Park received by the grace of God. Lucky him. Facing poverty, coldness, and hunger, he received the great dream and the promise of preaching gospel all around the world. And Gatris... Guess what he uses to spread his message? Tell me. The Christmas Cantata Choir.
4: Oh, okay.
7: And that's what makes this a Christmas cult.
4: I wouldn't have guessed that. I should have guessed it though, but that was a good one.
7: No, I mean, how would you have guessed it? It's pretty fucking out there. Let's be real. Uh So the Gracias, or Gracias, if you're in other Spanish speaking countries, choir was founded in 2000. Park now uses this group to travel with and spread his message while on international tours. And these happen yearly between
4: October and November. His tours were two months long.
7: Yeah, a couple months. He's in high demand. There are several stories from those who have attended, which I'll talk a little bit more about later. And most don't have great things to say about their experience. They're a traveling international choir of all ages, nationalities, and backgrounds. Sounds sketchy. They perform classics to contemporary to fucking whatever bullshit. They'll sing traditional songs in people's respective countries. So they'll do...
4: Police Navidad.
7: Wouldn't that like for sure be in the fucking rotation though?
4: Yeah, I mean I like the song but I would think if you're going to be traveling to Mexico,
7: Feliz Navidad, Mm-mm. Mm-mm.
4: Feliz Mm-mm.
7: Navidad, Do-do-do-do-do.
4: Mm-mm. Feliz Mm-mm. Navidad, Feliz Navidad, prospero on your Felicidad
7: I wanna wish you a happy festival. I wanna wish you a happy festivus. From the bottom of, of my, my heart. heart. Boom. Mm. Okay, that was really fun,
4: Christina. That was beautiful. <laughs> I was going to say, you said that they were in high demand. I wonder if they're selling out in Vesco Field for $900 like other people were. Never mind. I don't want to go there. Girl, you better be careful. I know. I'm not. You best watch what you say. I respect her. (laughs) She's smart. You better not go a step Further,
7: dangerous.
4: (laughs) you're going down a dangerous road right now, okay? Let me tell you. Don't have no Swifties after me. Shoot.
7: Okay, so when I hear this, this scares me because I was in a choir that I quit because the director was so mean. And it was actually a class for credit. And me and a handful of other people went to someone else in the department and said, you please have to let us out of this class or let us do something alternative because he's abusive. (laughs) Because when you are pursuing excellence in the artistry of emotional purification, education, and international fellowship through classical music, things are getting get fucking intense. That's all I'm saying.
4: And you need perfection.
7: No, you do. And that's why I was like, I got to get out of here. Yeah, because he wanted it to be perfect. Mhm. But often the pursuit of perfection can get pretty intense, especially when it's coming from a charismatic cult leader. So, it was incorporated in 2013, and since then, in 2015, the Gracious Choir won the highest prize at the Marktoberdorf International Choral Competition in Germany.
4: Ooh, so they're really good in Germany.
7: Yeah. And that comes at a price to the performers, I'm guessing. So they have grown into a world-renowned choir, winning multiple
4: first prize awards across the globe. Can I tell you something? Always. Thank you. It made me think of Sister Act. Like this guy is coming and building this choir Except for Sister Act was fun.
7: I haven't seen Sister Act in so long.
4: Yeah, they were a choir put together and then they end up winning the competitions. And you're saying that the Garcia choir leader.
7: The Gracias
4: choir. <laughs> the Gracias choir leader. He built something good.
7: Would you call it the Garcia? <laughs> the Garcia the- choir.
4: Oops. I did it again.
7: Somebody's got Grateful Dead on their mind.
4: <laughs> that was not good. <laughs> Oopsie. Anyways, the Rossi's choir leader, he led them to perfection.
7: Yeah, which he probably
4: feels pretty good about. Mm-hmm. And those people on the choir probably don't. Well, I don't
7: know. Who doesn't like winning awards, Cage Let's be real. <laughs> this is true. But at what price? Exactly. So they provide classes and education for music related programs around the world. And they engage in charity concerts and promote non-governmental cultural exchange. You guys know that I'm the first one to say be weary of the government, but also be weary of people who are like, hey, fuck the government. Come over here. We have the answers like, you know,
4: balance. Mm -hmm. Buyer beware. And
7: then there's the International Youth Fellowship established in 2001 and like some bullshit mind control thing, raising leaders with global insight through youth education, activities and realistic solutions to problems in the global village. It just sounds like, oh, we're raising leaders. It sounds very sketch, culty as hell. Yeah. So a lot of these experiences are from Reddit. So I can't totally verify them, but let's pretend
4: that I could because I did reach out to somebody who did not get back to me. (laughs) Wait a minute. These are experiences of people that were in the choir.
7: No, people who attended.
4: Oh, okay. So we're getting their reviews. Yeah. Okay.
7: So one woman said that her and her boyfriend attended the Christmas cantata and that they had received free tickets from their landlady. The show was at the beginning of October, which is weirdly early for a Christmas show. Mm -hmm. And apparently the show started with a clip about the choir itself and how successful it was. And then it turned into a life lesson about how awful the recent shootings have been specifically the one in Las Vegas. It then circled back around and said that their show had perfect timing because they were there to bring people hope again after such tragic events. Following the video, a man came out on the stage and welcomed everyone and says why they're all there, which is obviously Jesus Christ. But, you know, it's it's somewhat typical for a Christmas message. Then they do the actual concert and it was broken up into three acts. The birth of Jesus, several Christmas stories, and a musical performance. Overall, the couple thought the performance itself was great, but that the writing of the story was awful. Like it was trying really hard to promote a message. So they were performing beautiful music. But it was also like, what is this fucking message that you guys are trying to spread with that? Mm-hmm. They were essentially at a church service with a flashy set and some extra music. After the second act, they then brought Oksu Park out to speak. His sermon lasted for 30 minutes where he just kind of got really ranty and said that we need to follow Jesus or the bad things will happen. The couple thought this was really weird at this point. So they leave and all of the staff gives them confused looks as to like, why are you leaving early? And that was the end <laughs> of their experience. The event they attended <laughs> was entirely staffed by IYF and good mission members. They said that the entire event was promoted very lightly, that the real agenda came out when everybody was seated. Like, so it's
4: like, hey, come to our Christmas concert. Listen to us sing fun Christmas music. Okay, so these people got their tickets for free. Yeah. And it's very interesting that people were confused as to why they would leave the show early. They wanted to see some people singing. Yeah. They didn't want to sit there and listen to this man rant.
7: And I'm done.
4: Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm.
7: And he's weirdly speaking Korean and having somebody interpret
4: for him. Oh, snap. I can't believe I forgot about that part. Exactly.
7: That just brings a little bit of an even more interesting aspect to it. This is another story from Reddit, and it's from Israel. Uh, man, they asked for a shout out when we asked for permission to use the story. So what's up? Thank you for letting us use your story. Ooh, ooh, shout out. This person was a part of the IYF, Good Mission Cult, for
4: six years. So
7: it's some reviews and some in-house experiences.
4: First-hand account.
7: Yeah. They helped manage and organize the events and even became a spokesperson because she spoke Spanish. She says that she saw some sketchy stuff going on under the surface. Park made the group do commitment offerings on top of normal tithing done in Christian culture. And this was used to fund events. So I think tithing, traditionally, it's like you give 10% of your income to the church or something. Yes. This is bullshit. But whatever. Then you had to do also commitment offerings on top of that. And they were made to perform free labor, you know, handing out promotional material, working on construction, on new properties they brought, making the food
4: for the gatherings. It was definitely a cult. This sounds very familiar.
7: (laughs) Right? Yes. We've heard these hallmarks before. Uh The congregation was made to feel like they couldn't leave because if they did, they would lose everything and go to hell. The person who has since left said that people who wanted to escape would run away in the middle of the night.
4: This is a Christmas choir. Like, yeah. And you can't leave freely during the day.
7: No, it's the Christmas choir is just what they use to spread their gospel. If wives and children left, usually the men would stay and pray that they would return and they believed it was a trial from God. And if their families didn't return, they would then be placed in a new marriage so they wouldn't be alone. So organized marriages as well. And this happened to several people from all different levels of the organization. Also some good old fashioned mental abuse. Their goal was to try and break you so you don't leave. They would throw insults at people and be as nasty as possible to keep everyone in line. They were taught to hate and abuse others out of love, you know, tough love. Even if that wasn't what was needed, it's still what should be applied. This reminds me so much of the troubled teen industry right now. It's crazy. And people are afraid to leave because Park claims that he's a prophet and that God was using him on Earth. And obviously, people don't want to go to hell,
4: you know? And you're right. This is the choir. Did they live in a compound?
7: Dude, this shit's like really hard to find information on. Okay. I don't know. We should have been playing Colt Bingo, though, but we would have won. Totally. I found this in an Amazon book review. A guy said that he was super into the good mission group. So he spoke to Park's nephew, who's also a pastor at a church in LA and found that it was wrong if you ask for forgiveness, your faith isn't strong enough, or you lack faith if you're asking for forgiveness, because you should just trust God or Jesus or somebody. And Jesus doesn't save you if you ask for forgiveness, because you're not just blindly trusting enough. He confirmed they do arranged marriages. A panel of pastors gets together and prays. Then they couple their members together based on those prayers. And he also confirmed that it's rare for couples to get divorced, which I mean, depending on the circumstances could definitely point that they're kind of forced together or potentially women are coerced into staying in abusive marriages and stuff like that. He asked the pastor if any other churches taught what they do, and he said that there was one, but he couldn't remember the name of it. He also asked why the church itself was so isolated because that made it seem controlling. Hardly anybody really knows about the church or what they represent. The foundations, the IYF, Good Mission, and Gracias Choir all have a positive front. You know, hats off to Elizabeth because this stuff was, it wasn't easy to find. And his answer was that they try to preach to other churches but are told to go away. (laughs) Because a missionary isn't, it's not a church. It's a person or a group preaching. So they're trying to bring their system into other churches and they're like, "Mm, fuck off.
4: That church already has their message.
7: Yeah, we're good. Thanks.
4: They know the Lord. In 2011, there was a pretty
7: big scandal where 400 English teachers volunteered to teach English in Mexico. And, you know, some of them naturally were young college students. And they claimed that the classes were going to be called English camp. Instead, they were religious lectures, mostly talking about sin. And these classes were guarded by security. And anyone who tried to leave was prevented from doing so. Participants who were late were forced to do physical labor or have some sort of physical punishment. So they would generally have to perform excessive exercises instead of learning. And one of the college students who went to teach said that she was the victim of a scam there were also questions going up in India and Uganda over their religious materials being used in public schools and everything that is being used in public schools is provided by the good news mission
4: they're everywhere
7: and just you know to round things off park has had several fraud charges against
4: him I'm not surprised
7: <laughs> right? In 2017, it was said that he sold fraudulent over-the-counter stock to his 800 church members and that he also took in an unlawful profit for a church. So, you know, the pastor can make X amount of money, but he's like, mine, it's mine. Your commitment offerings are actually mine.
4: It's amazing how, I mean, I really don't know how much money uh preachers make, but Just looking at TV, the guy in Texas, again, I don't know how much money he makes, but they've got that mega, mega church. And I'm sure he lives in a mansion. Yeah. They want you to sacrifice. Members, you sacrifice. You go without. This is a test. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But look at me. Hey, you come over here. Free labor.
7: That's a tale as old as time.
4: Yeah. Fix my hot tub. Go add another wing onto my house. Right. <laughs> mm mm-hmm.
7: In 2017, his estimated fraud amount was
4: $21.8
7: million.
4: God dog.
7: Weirdly, every case that has come against him has been dropped. The Supreme Court stated that it is hard to regard Park as an accomplice because... You know, the cases keep getting dropped. That couldn't be coercion. What? Other suspects in his fraud case were given jail time of two to three years, along with several years of probation. That's also so often how it goes with cult leaders because they have other people do the dirty work. But overall, Park was found not guilty.
4: He's a prophet.
7: So, Gatris, that is the Gracias Choir Christmas Cantata cult.
4: Good grief.
1: That really changes my opinion on a lot of holiday concerts i fly past. It's wild how you humans hide evil within your most sacred of establishments. Kinda makes it hard to trust anything you see in this world. Well, it looks like my time for this holiday is coming to an end. There's only an hour left in the day, and I see a packed Taco Bell drive-thru with my name on it. I see no point in eating you too, especially after all the great podcasts I shared with you. So let's not let these shows go to waste. Why don't you pull out your phone and subscribe to them all before you leave? Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got a little holiday feast of my own to have. Good luck explaining this to anyone!